coming up on Art Palace. My husband is at the farm right now, picking up about 6,000 pounds of milk. Oh my gosh. Yes. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. In honor of National Cheese Lovers Day, today's cool person is Andrea Seifring Robbins, owner of Urbanstead Cheese Company. So how how did you how did you get into the, the cheese biz? Yes, uh, it's a big question that we always get at yeah. the shop. Like, why cheese? And so you know, my Scott and I, um, my husband, who is co proprietor, mm-hmm. and he is also our head cheese maker. He's been in the food and wine industry for about thirty years, okay. and I, you know, we've been married about well. This past year was ten years, and. We knew that we would always own a business together, mm-hmm. and it was likely in the food space. But based on his background, we also knew we didn't want to be at a bar until two thirty, three a.m. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, he is a certified sommelier, um, so wine really makes sense, and he has an extensive mm-hmm. wine knowledge. We didn't want to run a traditional wine um, restaurant either, but we've always traveled a lot, and because of his wine background and the restaurant space that he's operated in, cheese has always been present. Mm. It's always been, you know, wine and cheese, it's there. If he's doing wine tastings, he's likely got cheese. And through some of our travels um, domestically and internationally, and I think for us, it really hit the most. We were in California on a wine trip Mm. and we were at Cowgirl Creamery in Tamales, California, um, near Tamales. And it was really approachable. You know, if Mm. we were in Wisconsin or Vermont or California, we'd all see a lot of cheese, right? Yeah. And we'd all be very familiar with how cheese is made and we'd be really exposed to it, but not so much maybe in Southern Ohio. Mm -hmm. And it was this, you know, I had these visions of cheese being this complex place that you would visit. And it was just really, really approachable, simple. Mm. Um, We were able to get a small cooler and... We were able to get some cheese. So as we went to different wineries, we had this amazing cheese with us. Mm. And there was windows into the production room. And it gave us, like it dawned on us, this may hit all of the priorities. Mm. Um, It's contributing to the local food scene. It's making an incredible product. We are makers. And so it was always in our blood to make versus serve a product that somebody else makes. Um, And it deserves to be noted, both of our grandparents were dairy farmers. Oh. Yeah. So it's neat to be able to contribute. I don't want to be a dairy farmer. Hats off (laughs) to all dairymen out there because it is a hard job and one that is not typically highly lucrative. Um, And it's 365 days a year, twice a day. Um, And so this is a way to participate and support the dairy community, but not milk cows. Right. And... um, and still contribute to the local food scene in a really meaningful way. And we saw a business opportunity that there wasn't a lot of cheese making in Southern Ohio. Yeah. You know, was that part of the decision too, of just sort of seeing this gap essentially? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And also a gap in knowledge. So we, you know, most of us purchase our cheese, say at a, a big box 
store or maybe at a lovely cheese shop. And there's such a long story about cheese before it ever gets to the table Mm -hmm. and before it gets to those shops. And we wanted to provide transparency of the story behind cheese and from farm to city. It was important to us to, and to really flip the table and do this in an urban environment. It's why we are urban stead cheese instead of farmstead cheese. Mm-hmm. As we're doing cheese making in an urban environment, a lot of times cheese is made maybe close to the farm or on the farm in more rural areas. And that's an interesting hurdle because how do those individuals get their cheese to market? Mm. And so they're going to farmers markets. They're um, obviously through distribution channels, but we saw an opportunity to do this in an urban environment, satisfy our goals of investing in the city of Cincinnati and being a part of the community, but also doing, making cheese, being able to serve, we have a full bar of beer, wine, and liquor. So mm. we're able to serve some really beautiful wines, um, utilize Scott's beverage background and do all of that alongside making cheese. So we were talking about the story of cheese before it gets to the table. So mm-hmm. like, I don't know, pick, pick a piece of cheese, yeah. <laughs> you know, and sort of walk me through some of the basic like steps that happen for that to happen. Like how does, how does, I don't, I feel like maybe I didn't pay enough attention on like the Mr. Rogers episodes or whatever I, that yep. probably covered this. So like, how does, how do you make cheese? I really don't have a, a good sense of it. So cheese is such a simple food in terms of composition. It's mm-hmm. milk, salt, cultures, and enzymes. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of ingredients. And the week starts in terms of what, how, do, how does the cheese get to this plate that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, my husband is at the farm right now picking up about 6,000 pounds of milk. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So a gallon <laughs> of milk, let's give that perspective. A gallon of milk weighs about 8.6 pounds. Okay. Um, Around that. A gallon of water is usually about 8.2 pounds. Mm. And so your delta there is your fats and solids and proteins. And so it's about around 700 plus gallons of milk is 6,000 pounds. Um, And as we buy milk in pounds as as fluid milk, that's the way you would buy it. Mm. So that's where the week starts. And then we go into cheese making at the shop on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday into Friday. And in the world of cheese, you there's really two... You have pasteurized and raw milk cheeses. We choose to make pasteurized cheeses, and it's because we make some younger, fresher cheeses. Um, Raw milk cheeses in the United States have to be aged 60 days before you can eat them. So that would preclude us from eating any of those beautiful spreads. Mm -hmm. The Misty River Camembert, that little white round cheese, um, cheese curds of quark, of course, and then also the quark. Um, So we pasteurize. So... We'll go into cheese making tomorrow morning. We will take our cheese vat holds about 3,000 pounds of milk and we'll heat that up and pasteurize it. And so then what you've done is created essentially a clean palate. You've got your milk to start cheese making. At that point, we had our cheese cultures. So cheese cultures are essentially bacteria, not bad bacteria, good bacteria. It's a known, you know, we have a recipe. Each cheese has its own recipe. And that recipe is driven drives the cheese cultures, but also the make process. Hmm. So the way each of those cheeses are made is each individually unique. Um, some of them are cooked curd cheeses, meaning you actually physically cook the cheese or the milk with the cultures, with the enzymes, um, whereas other cheeses are not a cooked curd. The camembert and the quark are neither are cooked curd cheeses. And then there's cheddar. And cheddar is, 
unique into itself. Why? Different. Cheddar, you actually like make it and almost like rip it apart and put it back together. Okay. It's really interesting. Um, so we make cheddar on Wednesdays and part of the process in making cheddar is getting the cheese curds, which are also on the board over there. And so you've taken, you've put your cheese cultures in, you've put your coagulant. Coagulant is what like sets it and firms it up. It almost makes it the texture of say yogurt. Okay. Um, a little bit thicker than that sometimes. And you know, the old nursery rhyme curds and whey. Right. Um, so you take harps or cheese knives and they're little thin wires and you take them through that yogurt. And at that moment you have your curds and whey. Oh, okay. And so it's a really loose curd, not, not like these cheese curds. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the moment at which if it's a cooked curd cheese, now you turn the heat on in the cheese vat and it's going to cook them. And what it's going to do is tighten up those loose curds. Mm. Um, you'll often almost always pull off your way at that point. Um, and then depending on the cheese, different things will happen. Um, you cook them, you'll drain your way and then you get like this mat and you put it in molds, like cheese molds, like Mm -hmm. the, um, round molds and it goes into those and then you press it either light press, heavy press, cheddar's a really heavy press. Okay. Um, but cheddar different. So you've cut those curds, you've pulled off your way. Now you've got this mat and you take and you cut it into these big slabs and you go through a process called cheddaring. And cheddaring is you take those slabs and you keep turning them. And what you're looking for is where you've got like, you can see the curds, you know, in this mat that you can see the definition of what what those small curds were. Mm -hmm. But as you flip them, they get smoothed out, I'm going to say. And so you keep flipping them in a rotation and you press them down and what you're wanting is those proteins. Cheese is all about your proteins, Mm. Um, fats and proteins, but a lot about those proteins coming together. And it gets really strong to the point that you could hold this two plus foot long slab up by one end and it's strong enough to hold its own weight. Okay. And then you take that and you run it through our curd mill. And at that moment, now you cut those into smaller pieces and that's the size cheese curds you get off that. You would not do that with, say, Gouda or our tome or camembert, any other cheese on that plate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go through the process of salt. So the fourth ingredient, milk, salt, cultures, and enzymes. Um, your fourth ingredient is salt. So all cheese gets salt. Somehow salt has been added to all of those cheeses. The Misty River Camembert goes into a little brine, Mm -hmm. um, and it floats in a brine for a really short amount of time because it's small. Mm. And so maybe it only brines for five minutes, whereas the Gouda, which is a big 16 to 18-pound wheel, brines for 48 hours. Okay. Um, Cheddar gets salt directly applied, and then through the process of it draining its way, it's still losing some of that salt. Quark, we add salt directly to. And so each of the cheeses is really different. Quark's an interesting, we, we're talking about cooked curd cheeses. Mm-hmm. Quark is a not a cooked curd cheese, and we make it in the traditional way that they would make it in Europe. And that's really what we're looking to do here is old world style cheeses. Mm-hmm. It hangs in these really tightly woven cheesecloth bags, and they're about that long. So probably about three, three, four feet long. And you fill them up with the curds in the way that we talked about. And they drain their way okay. through that cheesecloth. And so what you get left over is this product. And we add a little bit of salt to it. So each cheese is really different. Cheddar, we call cheddar is a very sturdy cheese. Okay. Um, and, you know, to give it perspective, Gouda presses in our cheese press at 20 PSI overnight. 
Cheddar press is at 50 PSI overnight. So what we do is, so we have the cheese curds now, um, those cheese curds. We take 25 pounds of cheese curds and put them in a cheese mold and press them together, and then that becomes a wheel of cheddar. Okay. So cheese curds are just a step in the process of of making cheddar. cheddar. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'd heard that like that sort of yellow color that we see with cheddar is like not ever real, right? That's like it's correct. Just totally artificial. If you see it is, yeah. So that would be a natto. Um, a n n a t o mm-hmm. is the dye that's used to dye cheese. Um, it's really regional. So if we were in Wisconsin, there would be a lot of orange cheddar. Yeah. If we were in Vermont, very little orange cheddar. Yeah. Um, Europe, not a lot of orange cheddar. Right. But one of the ways that the reasons that cheese became to be came to be dyed, and this isn't the only reason, but it's a little bit of the story is that so think like old world style cheeses, a farmer's taking their animals, sheep, cows, whatever it is, goats into the mountains. Mm-hmm. They're eating flowers, there's beta carotene, that beta carotene causes their milk to have this beautiful yellowish, Uh. orangish tint. And it's the mark of a good cheese because you can taste it. You know, we call it in the wine world, it's terroir. In the cheese world, it's also terroir. So what they're eating is coming through into their milk. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're in a patch of onions, your cheese might taste like onions. Yeah. Um, But in this case, they're eating flowers, the beta carotene, it colored the milk, and then the cheese got a beautiful golden tint. So Mm. that's part of the reason that we started coloring cheese orange yeah. is that we're mimicking that, but then it became more of a regional thing. Yeah, so just like an expectation exactly. of what you expect your cheese to be colored and yep. probably a way of distinguishing it too from other yeah. types of cheese too. Like when you see it, you just go, Oh yeah, that's cheddar right there. And also traditions and yeah. you know, cheddar is a really interesting cheese. So what we make our street ched is a cloth bound cheddar. Mm-hmm. Less than 1%, right around 1% of cheese in the world is made in a cloth-bound format. A lot of cheddar is made day one. It's packaged into plastic. And, you know, think like the traditional loaf-like, almost like the rectangular style of cheddar that's orange. It's in plastic. It's aging in a refrigerator. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get the ability to breathe. It's, you know... By nature, temperature or a refrigerator is going to suppress the cheese cultures from doing their work. We make our cheddar with, in a truckle format, it looks like a big cylinder. They're about 20 pounds each and they're wrapped in cheesecloth. So take that 25 pounds of cheese curds, we pressed it, we've wrapped it in cheesecloth, we paint it in a rendered pork lard, which helps seal on that cheesecloth, but it also creates a moisture barrier. Mm-hmm. Still lets it breathe, but keeps it on there because like this cheddar that you're going to try today, it's been aging for 18 months. Okay. Um, but it's in our cheese aging room, which mimics a cave environment. It's about 54 degrees, about 90% relative humidity, really high humidity. So it's getting a chance to breathe. It's got moisture. The cultures are still active, but they're not like crazy active because it's at 54 degrees versus say what, a refrigerator is usually 37 to 42 Mm -hmm. um, is the average. So that's going to keep the cultures from doing their work. And in this case, um, with ours, the cultures are active. They're still continuing to work. And so cloth-bound cheddars are going to look really different, look physically different, but also taste really different than some of the non-cloth-bound cheddars. Yeah, yeah. And then you have more of what we probably in the U.S. think of as 
cheddar, you know, some of your more processed cheese, we would clap we would challenge that this is artisanal cheese. And so a lot of your artisanal cheese makers are going to be doing cheese in this format. Yeah. I just told you before we started, like I was just in Brazil. And uh, have you ever heard of Minas cheese? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Minas cheese is like my favorite Brazilian cheese. And, you know, when when you're staying in like... Brazilian hotels love uh, breakfasts. Okay. They do great breakfast spreads, but they always have Minas cheese. Like, there's always, like, a plate full of Minas cheese and, like, cold cuts and fruit. And that's, like, my favorite thing is just to to get the Minas cheese. One of the popular things to eat with Minas cheese is uh, guava and guava mm. paste. And uh, so that they call it, like, a Romeo and Juliet. I like uh, it. So it's, like, sweet and salty kind of idea. Um and so you, uh, you kind of, you know, get some Minas cheese and put a little like guava paste on You're it. Making me and, hungry. Well, I mean, luckily there's a plate of cheese in front of us. So, I mean, true. there's not, it's not like we don't have any options here. This is true. And maybe it's a good time to start to uh, yeah. try sampling some things. So where should I start? What should I, what should I begin with? So anytime you approach a cheese board, um, you're going to want to going to start with the mildest cheese typically, mm. because think about like. Even like think about doing a wine tasting, you're going to go lightest to darkest. Okay. Kind of like the same thing. The quark with the honey and the blueberries. Okay, right here. Yeah. So quark is a really interesting cheese. It's a, um, it's like a fresh farmer's cheese. It's very German, Eastern European. And um, it, today we've got some honey and some blueberries over it, but it's a super versatile cheese. And it's a cheese that my husband, Scott, and I wanted to bring back to this extremely German city. Should I put a blueberry on there? I think so. So you, there's so many. They look very... Well, uh, and you mentioned the Minas cheese with the guava. And so yeah. think about like that saltiness with the like the balance. It's almost the same. It is the same theory as like a chef mm-hmm. putting fat, acid, salt, that you want that balanced flavor. And mm-hmm. so the honey provides a little sweet, the... Um, quark is creamy, just a touch of salt, and then you've got a little bit of fruit um, with the blueberry there. What do yeah, you think? I love that. Awesome. Yeah, it is very mild. Like, yeah, it's it's not a super strong flavor, but it's, yeah, with the blueberry. I'm very glad I put that blueberry yeah. on there. It really I also did. love it with raspberries and the strawberry. Um, so I'll try that. I always say that <laughs> quark is like, it's kind of like goat cheese in texture, okay. but it's goat without the barn. Yeah, it 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 is like you're right. The texture is really similar. Yeah. Yep. And I've thinned this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's a little thicker. And so at Urbanstead, not only do we have the full tasting room, and you can come in and enjoy cheese. You can buy cheese to go. But we wholesale to a lot of restaurants and cheese shops throughout Cincinnati, Dayton, Lexington, Louisville, Cleveland, um, and some other cities as well. Mm-hmm. And. The the quark is one that the chefs have really jumped on. Um, we've got, you know, instead of a goat cheese toast, there's a quark toast down at Crown Republic. Okay. Um, different people are using it to bake. It makes an amazing cheesecake. Mm, I can um, imagine, yeah. So it's a perfect substitute for cream cheese. Mm-hmm. Say you're making that Cincinnati um, skyline, skyline dip. dip. Can be used with quark Ooh. or the buffalo chicken dip. Yeah, you yeah. You can use quark. Or let's say you were making maybe a streusel. You could use quark in there. Yeah. Um, amazing for baking. It can also be substituted for ricotta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could so totally see that. stuffed shells. Um, it, I really enjoy it also with some fresh dill, a little bit of buttermilk for a vegetable dip. 
Mm. Um, the possibilities with quark are really endless. You know, Germans would eat 15 pounds of quark a year on average, <laughs> but it's their yogurt. Oh, okay. And so you're eating it with the honey and the blueberries, put a little granola in there, a little yeah. different fruits. There's your breakfast. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. When you were talking about like all these different things, like it could easily become like a sweet kind of, uh, you know, it could kind of tr- go between sweet or savory because it's so mild. Yep. One of our team members does, um, figs or dates mm. with some balsamic and mm. makes a really lovely dip, yeah. um, with it. It's Quark is just an endlessly versatile product. Yeah. And it's been an exciting thing to see the people of Cincinnati. Some people who've never seen Quark and other people who maybe grew up in Germany or had a German ancestor and they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen Quark since I was a kid. I think this is my first time eating it. And as far as I know, I mean, maybe I've had it and didn't know what it was called, but yeah. But it's been really fun to introduce it. Yeah. The three spreads that you have there, you have a our Ohio Valley pimento and our beer cheese okay. and our tomato basil quark. Okay. And so all three of those are quark derivatives. Okay. So should I try those next? Yeah. Or, or maybe because they have a bit more flavor, I want to take you to the camembert. Is yeah. Right here. Okay. Um, that camembert definitely my favorite bite on there. Um, is take a piece of the camembert. Okay. And a little bit of fig jam, mm-hmm. and a bite of the strawberry. And an almond, and it is again. We're going back to fat, acid, salt, mm-hmm. a little bit of sweetness. It's like the perfectly balanced bite. Okay, so just a little strawberry, you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I'm like gonna. And you said an almond too. Yep. Okay, this is a big bite. It is a big bite, but it's so worth it. Okay. All right. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, go for it. So camembert um, is like brie. Mm-hmm. Similar to brie, it's going to be different in shape. This is an untraditional format in the three ounce. Um, and like Camembert de Normandy is made in Normandy, France. It's made from cows, the Normandy cows. It's um, a protected name, kind of like champagne has mm-hmm. to be made in that region. Camembert de Normandy would have to be. So this is a Camembert, camembert style. Yeah. Um, similar to a brie. Um, brie is going to be like the big, um, a big wheel and thinner, and they'll cut it into big pie pieces, whereas yeah. Camembert will usually be a little bit smaller format. Again, this is a pasteurized, not a raw milk. So sometimes people are like, oh, I don't like that funky, like overly funky camembert. But what they're thinking about is a raw milk camembert. Mm. And that can be really, really funky. Um, yeah, this is not. It's, no, it's, it's very not mild. All. Yeah, it's. I, I, I'm kind of like some breeze are a little strong. And I, I get like, ooh. I mean, um, I always love when there's like honey or jam or something mm-hmm. with it because it helps kind of temper Bounce. that. And I, I love that play of flavors between the, the, that kind of bitterness. Um, but, uh, this is way milder than most kind of breeze I've, I've had. This one's a little young. Um, I think we made these, what did I see on the 17th of December? So really we think our sweet spot is right around 25 to 35 days. Yeah. Um, so this is a touch young and so it'll get a little funkier, yeah. but not like funky, like a raw milk cheese will right. get. And don't get me wrong. We love raw milk cheeses. Yes. I'm an equal cheese opportunist. <laughs> I believe that even the craft slices in the plastic, <laughs> they make an amazing grilled cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're a good melter. Um, there's not very many cheeses that I, I don't think have a place at some point. So these this camembert is a fun cheese because you would if you came in the tasting room and you chose to get that, you would get the entire three ounce little round and it's great for sharing. Um Yeah, I'm being I'll be honest, I'm having trouble not eating more. <laughs> I 
I, I would not. I'm have saving it. myself for the rest of this plate. <laughs> you can't see it, but it's very, very large. I should have taken a, like a beautiful photo of it before I started digging into it. So we'll have to like, I don't know if we'll just show the aftermath. We could, that, that would be a good, this is the after. <laughs> I would say I kind of want to come back to the spreads last. Okay. Like maybe the cheese curd next? Yeah. Or? I think a cheese curd would be a great place to land. Um, so cheese curds are like day one cheddar. I'm, I'm assuming I'm grabbing the right you thing. You are here. grabbing okay. the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we make cheese curds every Wednesday. Um, most Wednesdays. We didn't make them last week. We took a little cheese hiatus mm-hmm. at the new year. Um, but fresh squeaky cheese curds and they're squeakiest closest to being made. And so usually about five 30 on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. we have a group of individuals in the tasting room waiting for those cheese curds to come out of the back. Really? They're still warm and squeaky straight out of the bat. And what it is, is there's air. Mm. But, and so these aren't going to squeak because these it were made very, very slightly, yeah. but not, not a lot. Yeah. You can wake your squeak up. With t- by 10 seconds in the microwave. Oh, okay. Um, and what it does is reactivates those proteins. Oh, okay. And that's what's squeaking against your teeth. But like on Wednesday nights, they squeak because there's still air between the casein, um, between the proteins, and that air squeaking against your teeth. Mm. Once they go in the refrigerator, it's going to start to stop the squeak. So they still squeak on Thursdays, a little less so on Fridays. But like I put my cheese curds in chili. Mm. And um, I'll do like a layer of chili down and then some cheese curds and then another layer of chili. Oh. And I pop it in the microwave and boy, do they squeak. <laughs> I just had chili for lunch. Ooh, if I, I just we could have had cheese curds. I could have put cheese curds in my chili. There you go. My gosh. Okay. So those are cheese curds. And, um, you know, so I get a lot of questions like, how do I eat the cheese curds? Well, they're awesome, high protein, mm-hmm. um, really filling. Just like pop a couple of cheese curds, you know, that you're looking for something relatively, I don't, I think it's healthy. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, if you're not like trying, like it's not as healthy as like vegetables, but, right, right. but you know, it's also Stock more satiating yeah, yeah. Um, because it's high protein. Yeah. And so like my mom, she just will pop a couple of cheese curds in the middle of the afternoon as like a snack and, and that's enough to get her through. But then you've got some restaurants around town that are frying them and they mm. are delicious fried. Um, we've got another restaurant, Carrican over in Fairfax, mm-hmm. puts them in a skillet okay, and put, throws them in the coals in their um, fire and with a chorizo jam on top with a warm, crusty bread. Oh, gosh. It's so good. And, it, and don't you use a cheese curds traditionally in like poutine? That's right. And yeah. so there's a couple people, um, there's a couple poutines made around town with our cheese curds. Yeah. Wow. And so you put that warm gravy over the top and there's your squeak again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, like, I feel like. I mean, I'm sure people, it's like cheese curds are not as popular around here probably as they right. are in like Wisconsin or something, but you know. But don't you think that's possibly also because we go back to that we don't have a cheesemaker here. Yeah. I mean, we have, there's a couple fellow cheesemakers here in Southern Ohio, but nobody making cheese curds. And you really don't get the opportunity to be, to have fresh squeaky cheese curds unless you're near a cheesemaker. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really, again, another fun thing that people are like, oh, I've been looking for cheese curds for the longest time. Yeah. And now they know that they can come to Urban Stead Cheese and get cheese curds. Yeah, I think it was one of the first things, you know, I had to do when I got to Wisconsin. <laughs> right. I'm visiting. And they're like, like at oh. the gas station. Yeah, you and get them everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's really easy to get them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where should I go next? I think you should go to the Tome. And so the Tome to Evanston, it's the one in the middle that's the triangle. This there you right go. Here? Okay. And so it's going to be the most mild and elegant of our hard cheeses. 
which is why I'm going to take you there. Again, we're going lightest to darkest in tasting. Okay. And um, so tome is a generic term for a small farmhouse wheel. And um, tome is typically na- named for the place that it's made. So think like tome de Savoie is made in the Savoie region of France. Okay. So we've given a nod to Evanston, the um, neighborhood where our building is, with by naming tome de Evanston. And um, it's a younger age, so think like 8 to 13 months. And it's going to have really subtle, mm-hmm. um, made in the style, it's, so it's an alpine style cheese. Mm-hmm. And by that, think like an Appenzeller or a Comte. Um, really, really subtle. I pick up like almost mustardy straw, mm. um, but it also depends on what the cows ate. Yeah. And so our fall tome, I found find taste quite different than other tome throughout the year. And I I really love the fall tome yeah. um, a lot. But this is a great melter. So oh, okay. French onion soup. Oh, that um, would be good. Or even mac and cheese. Like it imparts that deep, rich flavor into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like it. It's, it is really subtle, like you mentioned, but... Uh, yeah, it took me a while. Like, it was a pretty, it kind of had a real flavored journey. You yeah. know, like it starts kind of one place and you go, oh, okay. Like, it, 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 it took me different places and it, 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 it was more interesting at the end than I expected it to be at the beginning. Yeah. I agree with you. And it's really um, what your cheese doesn't want to be eaten super cold. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to let your cheese board, say you're serving a cheese board, you want to pull it out about 45 minutes to an hour in advance of serving it. Now, if you had like all these soft cheeses, that wouldn't necessarily be as much. Soft cheeses, you want to maybe 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. But the hard cheeses and that tome, all those subtleties you picked up, I don't think you would have picked them up if it had been super cold. Right. I would say it would taste tight. Yeah. Um, that you wouldn't pick up those subtleties. So I agree that tome... It, there's a lot of flavors on the back end that you don't get on the front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Good. I would probably go to the Gouda next, which is closest to you, the long right pointed, yeah. Okay. And so Gouda, um, Gouda is an interesting Cut cheese because so much of the Gouda we see in the U.S. is really young. Hmm. And this is 15, 16 months aged. And so the, some of the biggest questions we get is, do you smoke your Gouda? And... While we do have, we will have in the in the future the ability to smoke cheese. We have a smoke room that we haven't. There's there's lots of projects, yeah. um, and cheese making takes a lot of time. But um, a lot of times people smoke cheese to give it character and flavor that it wouldn't have an opportunity to get with aging. Yeah. But with a 15, 16 month age, I hope what you find is that this is a big flavor bomb. It did not taste at all like what I was expecting from a Gouda because I think you're right. I've mostly probably eaten really young Goudas that are yep. very soft um, and this is harder. And so, yeah, it has that kind of more hard cheese flavor than what I was expecting. And so there's a lot more flavor than usually it was uh, tangier. Tangy, than, some butterscotch, yeah. some caramel there. Um and then you're probably hopefully picking up also on some cheese crystals. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So when cheeses start to age and the amino acids break down, you get tyrosine crystals. And that's like the magic little magical little crystals that people are looking for in aged cheese. And you're absolutely going to pick up on that in the cheddar. Yeah. Um, 
which takes us to our last hard this cheese is the, is the big guy. Here. Yeah. And I gave you guys a nice, oh, yeah. um, that's There's my favorite cheese. A lot of cheddar here. Yeah. And so that's our street ched. And so being an urban creamery, we're trying to be, you know, fun and playful with yeah, our cheese yeah. names. It's hard to name cheeses as evidenced <laughs> by the fact that the Gouda doesn't have a name. Yeah. I mean, we have to name, you know, I have to name programs yeah. and it's hard. It's not easy. You know, you don't want to like mislead people. You don't want to, you want to be fun and enticing, but right. And then also you put a name on it and like, you're kind of stuck with it. Mm-hmm. So you better like it. Um, so that's our 18 month age cloth bound cheddar. Mm. And Really, really proud of that cheese. And um, so we go to annually, we go to the American Cheese Society Conference. Mm -hmm. Last year, it it moves cities. So we were in Richmond, Virginia last year. We'll be in Portland, Oregon this year. And it's the biggest North American artisanal cheese contest in the U.S. Um, I don't know about the biggest. World Cheese Championships. Like there's all kinds of cheese um, contest, but I would say it's the largest for the artisanal cheese makers. And we entered all of our cheeses and they all did very well. Yeah. Um, our cheddar got 96 points. Ooh. I know I was really excited, but it's evidence of how many really good cheeses there are in the U S that we did not place oh, wow. and got 96 points, yeah. 95 points. I think 95 points made us eligible to medal yeah. and did not place. Oh, wow. Yeah. But we're, you know, we're, we haven't even been making cheese two years. February 13th of 2018 was our first batch of cheese in our facility. We had made cheese at home, but it's like yeah. apples and oranges. Right. Um, so we're really, really proud of the cheddar. Yeah, it's it's great. And it's not at all what you're probably expecting. You yeah. Know? Like, but it does, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's probably harder than I would have expected from like the similar to the Gouda. But then at that end of the flavor, you do get that sort of familiarity of a cheddar that you're probably a little more used to. That meaty, tangy. Yeah, yeah, I really, I love everything about our cheddar. And it's so beautiful when you're in the shop um, and we're opening a wheel of cheddar and you're pulling that beautiful cheesecloth off and it's got the molds on it. And then you pull it off and you expose this beautiful golden rind underneath, which you're seeing there. Yeah, on the edge here, I can see. Yeah, it's... um. It's, I, I'd say that the quark and our cheddar are what we would like to be our calling cards. Mm-hmm. I love our Gouda. I love our Tome, but like those are two things. Yeah. We're really proud of all of them, obviously. Um, but those are two that we really set out to say we want to make an incredible cloth bound cheddar and we want to make quark and a really good Gouda. There's not a lot of Gouda in this region. Yeah. Gouda is finicky to make. Hmm. Um, Why? It, can be prone to going askew hmm. during the make process. And so maybe you set out with 14 wheels of Gouda 15 months down the road. Those 14 wheels of Gouda may not be 14. It may be like really eight of them were good. Hmm. Do you know that before you cut into it? or <laughs> Sometimes it'll tell you. It will might have like a ripple in the hmm. – um, kind of an edge on the rind that you can feel like something's gone. Sometimes you'll see eyes – Kind of like Swiss cheese. Oh, okay. Um, those are eyes. And so you can get some eyes in your Gouda, which you want some eyes in your Gouda, yeah. but not a ton of eyes in your Gouda. Um, and a lot of Gouda, we're, we're used to maybe wax-dried Goudas. Mm-hmm. And so that's something traditional, too, that think when they were shipping Gouda over on the ship, and it took, I don't know how long it would take to go from 
the Netherlands too. Yeah, months. <laughs> right. And so you needed to preserve your cheese. And one of the ways they did that was wax on the rind. That makes sense. Yeah. Should I go on to the spreads I think here? so. And okay. so um, let's see. I think closest to you, you have, and there are a couple spoons over there oh, as well okay. yeah. um, that I hopefully will help with that. That would be. Um, I think yeah. the pimento, our Ohio Valley pimento. Is the pimento is, right here? Or so which one? that one closest to you is the pimento. Oh, this one right yep. here? Okay. And then the next one up is the tomato basil. Okay. And the one to your left is the beer cheese. Oh, okay. So the pimento, um, we selfishly make the cheeses that we want to eat. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a good, I think that makes sense though. It's yeah. like, you know, at least there's a, it's like, you know, there's at least somebody who wants it. Yeah, <laughs> that's hopefully, right. Hopefully somebody else does too. And so that is made with quark. And then the texture you're going to feel in there is our chopped up cheese curds. And it's going to be brighter and lighter and tangier. Um, my husband used to live in North Carolina in Charlotte and pimento is, it's fun, like, if you and I grew up in the South mm-hmm. and I was like after school going over to play at your house, your mom might have her own pimento recipe and conversely, you're going to come to my house mm-hmm. and she's going to make us pimento sandwiches for a snack after school. Like so many families had their own pimento recipe wow. and they vary just slightly. Yeah. It's delicious. Thank yeah. you. I love it. It's yeah. It's got that like, little spiciness to yeah. it. It's it's a great compliment to the cheese. But it's not like the... Orange again. It's not orange. Right, right. Which is why I probably reached for one of the other because the other two are much more orangey. And so I assumed that those were the pimento ones. Yeah. Yep. So the next one up would be your tomato basil quark. Okay. Um, so it's sun-dried tomatoes and basil. And so these are standard quark flavors that we have at the shop. But then occasionally um we'll also do some more seasonals. One of my favorites is a fresh squeezed orange with candied ginger. Oh, Russell. It's so good. <laughs> um, it's just, it hits every proper note for me. Um, I love the sun-dried tomato basil with like chips. I like it on a cracker like you're eating it. But I also really like it like on a turkey sandwich. Mm. So think of it as your spread instead of, and then you don't need cheese. You don't need mayo. Yeah. Um, it's really great that way. Yeah. It's really good. But also like, I love how the tomato basil is also... It's not overpowering. Mm -mm. It's like a really nice balance. I feel like sometimes you get things that are tomato basil flavored and that's like all you taste and the actual, like you don't taste the cheese or something, you know, in this case, it's like a really perfect balance. I feel like. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. I appreciate that. Um, And I'm confident our cheesemaker would appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I said it with a certain level of authority as if I know what I'm talking about, but I really don't. (laughs) Well, I think you're doing pretty good. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And then our beer cheese is the third one. Um, We serve that with some soft pretzels in the shop from Tuba Baking Company. Mm. If you have not been there, you need to go. I have not. Um, They're in Covington, or you can just come to our shop over in East Walnut Hills. You'll have them for us there too? Oh, yeah. And so we serve them with warm pretzels. We um, City Beat gave us a best unconventional beer cheese award, and I think it's because it's cold and also because it's made from quark. Hmm. You know, beer cheese originates in Kentucky. Hmm. There's a beer cheese trail kind of in the Winchester, Kentucky area, and I worked at a restaurant in college that we hauls on the river, and they had their own beer cheese. And I can remember if, like, you were the opening shift, you'd carry the beer back to the kitchen, Mm -hmm. and they'd make their own beer cheese. And so we've done a kind of a take on that. I like a soft, spreadable beer cheese. Um, We serve it in the shop with pretzels, but we also serve it with a side of apples. Mm. And so, again, it goes back to the first comment you made of that 
balance. Yeah. And so it provides that acidity and brightness. What do you think? I love it. Good. Yeah, it, again, it's, 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 it is very subtle, which it's a nice flavor. So we use Braxton Storm. In our mm-hmm. beer cheese as a nod to Kentucky's beer cheese roots. So that's so fascinating. I know beer cheese is from Kentucky. Yeah. So I'm sure that there's his roots of beer cheese el- yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. But um, a lot of beer cheese, there's a big beer cheese prevalence in Kentucky. If we were to go to like one of the groceries in that central Kentucky area, there would be quite the variety of beer cheeses to to choose from relative to what we could choose from like in our grocery stores. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. I think we've, we've done it all. Haven't we? I think we have. Okay. Well, if you still have have a favorite, you know what? I think my favorite, um, is going to be the, I'm going to mess up the name. What was it? The, uh, the camembert. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. The camembert with, as you told me to prepare Mm -hmm. it, I, I ended up, I think that was the one where I was like, I want more. Yeah, I mean, I want more of all of them, and uh, but that one was probably like hit like all my my spots right. It's a really perfectly balanced bite, and then probably the the cheddar was good. The other, I mean, both of them are really it's they're both really really good, and I I could I definitely was like ooh that cheddar I could eat more of it, and it's definitely way stronger than that cheese. So it they're, is. they're very different. Uh, so it's a little bit like comparing apples and oranges, but they're, well, that makes me happy because. You have to choose what cheeses you're making before yeah. you really... I mean, not all of them. I mean, we're evolving and we're working on some new cheese. But you start building a facility and that facility is built based upon the cheeses that you choose to make. And we really wanted to make some distinctly different cheeses. Yeah. So you saying that, that they're really different cheeses, but I like them. Yeah. It's exactly where we want to be. Yeah. And, and I, I think they're... Overall, I've, I feel like I've, I've overused the word subtlety <laughs> today. Like I've, I've probably overused it, but like it's it's maybe another way would be like nuanced um, would be a better uh, phrase because like all of them, even like something like the cheddar, I wouldn't necessarily say is subtle. Like it's a really strong flavor, but it's very nuanced. Like everything has lots of layers to it. Um, and yeah, you can I, I can definitely tell like. Oh yeah, this is a like a much higher quality cheese than you know just the the stuff I grab at the grocery store a lot of times yeah. because there's just much more complexity to it. Good, that makes to. us happy. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, what I hope we could do is I want I have a little experiment for us to do in Uh-oh. the galleries if you still still have some time. Of course, which is to maybe come up with cheese pairings with some paintings. Okay. Um, so this could be a little weird and a little abstract, but uh, we're going to start in a gallery where we have actually our only painting to feature cheese. And then I thought we could look around the room and just see if anything uh, brings anything up for us. I'm game. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So we are in Gallery 229. I thought this would be a good place to start. Um, and we're looking at what I believe to be the only piece that at least has cheese in the title yeah. <laughs> that I know of that we could find really easily, which is Compote Bread and Cheese by Georges Brock. Um, and this is sort of a, a cubist work, maybe like a later cubist uh, painting. Um, and... It, it's like I said, it's the only one I know that features cheese quite so prominently. There's probably something somewhere that has like a little slice or something Tucked somewhere. In there. But yeah, nothing I can think of on view and nothing quite so uh, 
so easily found. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a nice little setup of, you know, you've got this bread on the one side, you've got some fruit. So it's it's like a a, a, a spread ready to go. It is. <laughs> yeah. Um so it's 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 not very, you know, it's it's painted in this uh very modern style, very flat shapes, lots of uh, you know, outlines and things. So it's, it's, it's not like a super traditional still life. Um, and you can kind of see these sort of weird ways that like that bread looks like almost like it's splitting apart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, if you, if you, when I said late cubism, like if you look at a piece like, uh, this one over here, this would be kind of like early cubist work. Okay. Uh, this is by Picasso, the still life with glass and lemon. Yep. And it's a lot more. Um, so here he's literally like, I'm going to walk around the table as I paint this, I'm going to paint this part. I'm going to paint this part. I'm going to paint this part. And we're just going to see what happens, you know? And, and it's, it's really angular. Yeah. And so later things, as we move like to this piece next door to it or things where they're almost like, they're not really necessarily doing that system of like walking around the table and painting everything, but sort of being inspired by what happened by these experiments and sort of taking that style and applying it to. So sometimes they're a little more imaginative and less like rigid in their, you know, system of how they made the paintings. Um, but so what I thought we could do is maybe pick some paintings and see what if if they remind you of any cheese flavors. <laughs> yep. I've got some. Yeah, I'm looking. And, 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 and some of these, and the, I thought this gallery might actually be a good, not only because it, it has our only cheese painting in it, but there's a lot of strong colors in this, mm -hmm. in this gallery. And there's a lot of things that are very abstract that maybe I think could help get you away from being, thinking about something quite so literally, but it, it, it for me, it's easier to translate something into another sensation almost or another sense when it's not like, you know, it might be hard for me to look at the, the red rooster over there and think of anything other than chicken. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but when you see something like, uh, the Gorky over here, it's, it's a little bit easier to sort of imagine like, what would that taste like? You know? So what you said, you saw something right away. What, what popped out at you right away? So that orange, the orange straight, okay. straight across yeah, we'll from us. Right, we'll go closer. So that's and it a, is pretty literal what I'm going to say. Oh, well, that's fine. Uh, um, so this is by Fernand Leger. Uh, it's called trees in the setting sun from 19, 1952. So what were you going to say? So this really connotates Mimolette for me. Um, Mimolette's a really hard um, French cheese. Okay. And it's an interesting cheese because you've got a couple things going on here with um, this painting and also with Mimolette. So in the cheese world, we talk about cheese mites. Um, cheese mites are real and they're pretty much present all the time. But Mimolette, and it's Mimolette's in a round shape. Okay. And the color of the paste, so we talk about the rind and the paste. Uh -huh. The color of the paste is so orange. Oh. It looks, this is a bit more orange than Mimolette is. Yeah. But um, it's almost like the color of dark cantaloupe. Hmm. Um, but even darker than that, brighter. So between cantaloupe and this. Okay. And they actually let the cheese mites do their work and make, they make little tiny craters in the cheese. Ah. And so I'm seeing like the, the paste and I'm seeing the, um, knots, I guess that I'm seeing in the tree. And so it kind of connotates that for me. Um, 
it was pretty obvious, but I saw that and I'm like, that looks like me <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love that right away. Like, well, that's obviously yeah. me Yeah. It's like, I would see that and be like, oh, okay, yeah. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. What I'm if- not a huge me fan, by the way. Oh, uh, okay. Why yeah. not? Eh, texture. It's a little, it's hard, a little waxy, okay. um, but I respect it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of people's favorites. Really? Um, it's, you're going to see it a lot if you ever see like a uh, cheese carved as a jack-o'-lantern. Um, <laughs> I and don't a lot I've of, ever seen that. So <laughs> like your cheese displays at the holidays in uh, a okay. cheese shop. Um, Mimolettes a lot of times is picked is pick to do that because of its bright orange color. Oh, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And you're saying it's very hard too. Yeah, so, it's pretty hard. So it, it would hold its form pretty that, well. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be easier to carve. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. So let's, let's, this one's kind of maybe as a challenge, but I like it as one that is like so hard to like identify any, like anything in it. Um, so this is Virginia Landscape by Gorky. And I'm just kind of curious, like from a standpoint of just like, I don't know, colors and lines, like does it, do you, can you, does it make you imagine a flavor of any type? You know what I'm picking up on in there is some mushroom. Interesting. Is it just like some of the shapes maybe? It is. Yeah. And um, some of the dark colors and some citrus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from a mushroomy, I think breeze, I think camembert. Mm. And so um, that's kind of the mushroom. Because a lot of times we'll say that those camembert and breeze have like a mushroomy flavor. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And so that's what I'm picking up on there. Um, Plus with you, if you can, if you kind of ate it like we just did with the yep, citrus, citrus. Yeah, you could, I could totally see that. That makes a lot of sense. I see a duck. Um, but I don't know that that has any cheese. Well, I'm curious now, where is this duck? Here's the duck. Oh, okay. Interesting. But that's again, really literal. I'm probably, um, but I just pick up on a lot of mushroom, like earthiness. And for me, earthiness is the bloomy rind cheese, bloomy rind being Mm. your camembert and your, um, I feel like it's definitely be a very bold cheese, though, too. Like in I my mind, agree with that because of the color. Yeah, like it's it's just this is a is is not it's pretty in your face. I feel like this this cheese. It's also kind of like a little bit of a melting pot here with colors oh, and shapes. That's true. Well, and the drippiness of it too makes it feel melty too. Maybe I agree with that. And so in that way, I could almost feel fondue. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about, again, earthiness, we're going to take yeah. like a, say, um, maybe a Comte or mm-hmm. a Gruyere mm-hmm. um, would be a great fondue cheese alongside maybe some Swiss and some milder cheese. And from that perspective, you've got a lot of different things going in. You've got some boldness. Um, and Even the, like, the sort of citrusiness of the wine in, yep. the, in the fondue, that makes a lot of sense. I can, I can totally see this painting pairing nicely with fondue. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what I, either fondue or um, a very earthy cheese. Hmm, okay, all right. Are we going next? I don't know. I mean, there's so many, if you see something that screams out to you, I was thinking either of these two made me think of something. Yep, but, me too. So this, we're kind of moving towards this uh, painting by... Uh, Haim Soutin, uh, view of uh, Surrey. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I'm going to... It feels right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that accent grave, yeah. I think we've got it right. Now, that's an accent aigu. Oh, that is an accent aigu. Good point. It has to be the other way for an <laughs> accent grave. the other way, yeah. Yeah. So, Surrey. 
Um, um, Madame Reich, my high school French teacher, would not be pleased to, I, well, for that. I'm getting points from Madame Pearson. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> I like that we both had French teachers without very French-sounding yes. last names. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so this one, although it's France, like my brain wants to kind of go Spain with those colors. Mm. Um, but definitely Europe. And from that perspective, I'm going to think like an artisanal country cheese. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking like a tome, um, again, our tome, you know, but like we talked about tome de Savoie, but a very country rustic cheese. Um, maybe one made out, you know, you've got the cows and then you've got like a, a true farmhouse wheel, um, a mild cheese, Okay. I wouldn't have probably been able to tell you what a tome tasted like before today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now I can, I could, I could make that connection because there's also something about the way those flavors were all sort of like working together in the way that this landscape all sort of mil- like it becomes one thing. Like there's buildings, there's trees, there's sky, but the, the, they all sort of become one thing, don't they? They sort they of, do. And it's this weird slanted view of everything that maybe it just turns it into like a bit of a blur, you know? It and, does. And so it, it's like an interesting, the way I experienced that cheese was like to sort of start at one side and then it kind of slowly turned into something else. And that's kind of what's going on here in a way. Like it kind of, if you start up in the sky maybe, or you start down at the bottom, perhaps it's like. I think I described it as it took me on a little journey, you know, and and this kind of, I feel like does too. But if you weren't looking, stepping back and you, you really zoom in, it's like, can you really tell from when you go to, from like road to tree to building to sky at all? It's really transitional. Um, and the other interesting thing is you tasted our tome today. Mm -hmm. If you taste another tome, they're all different. Yeah. So cheddar kind of has a signature, right? Mm -hmm. Tome, not so much. Mm. Every tome you ever taste is going to be different from another. Yeah. Um, And so from that perspective, it's also why I kind of, that it's, and I'm just thinking more like a farmhouse cheese um, is what this reminds me of. It's the country. It's it's the buildings, but it's also the diversity that farmhouse cheeses present. Okay. And that feels, you know, I can, like you said, there's some buildings here, there's some road, there's some sky, but there's all, it's all, it's not real clear where one ends and the other begins. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, that makes sense. It's a sort of, it feels like a a little village or something too. So it it makes sense that it feels farmy to you. Yeah. I like it. Was your eye drawn to anywhere else that made you think of something? I really like this one over here, but I'm, I'm, which one? Straight ahead. The the big the br- yeah. uh, the orange and the blue. Yeah. So this is the uh, this was actually going to be one of mine that I was going to suggest, but I wasn't sure. Andre Durand's The Bridge at Le Pec. Um another French. There's a lot of French stuff in this room, yeah. so <laughs> you're picking well, up with that. And a lot of there's a lot of cheese eaten in France. That's so true. Yeah. Um, it's appropriate. You know, I'm struggling with this one, and I, I, I'm drawn to it, but I'm also I think this is water. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it is. maybe like. I just could see like sitting here and eating a light cheese plate. Hmm. And so it just makes me think about a cheese plate in general. Okay. Um, you know, it just feels like a very pedestrian. Um, there's a lot of people and I could see like you and I sitting down along the, the waterway with a glass of wine, um, a nice white Bordeaux maybe. 
um, and something nice, light and bright, some, um, maybe some Gruyere and some Brie and, you know, some baguette. It, it just really connotates mm. for me, like the cheese plate itself. Interesting. I think my brain goes to somewhere maybe a little different, which is that I, 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 I can't sort of get away from this, like the two colors that are really strong in this painting are blue and orange. And they're, those are sort of very contrasty colors. Mm -hmm. So that makes me think of a very strong flavor when I think of that idea. So like when I look at this, I think of something like incredibly like tangy maybe is where I go with my, something really, really bold and in your face. Yeah. That's sort of how I, cause I feel like this painting is very bold and in your face too. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it just makes me want to be in France and sitting down with a plate well, of yeah, cheese. It's, it's hard to separate. That's why it's like, yeah, you can, you can sort of be in the place which has a very different connotation, it does. which is like, you know, what you would probably want to do if you're by a river or, you know. Yep. If this wasn't France, let's say that we transposed this and mm. that that canal was maybe, say, Amsterdam, mm. that would then um, make me think like more of like a Gouda. Yeah. Um, but, it's not so. <laughs> so you're being very literal. Though. I am very you, literal you're, 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 today. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Break I shouldn't out from be that like literal. Where, where it literally is, because I kind of wonder, like, would something this? We can make this our last one here. This one is uh, by Gauguin, uh, which is is a, a very different locale, uh, even though he's it's really French. tropical. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of was wondering. I mean, I don't know if we necessarily think of cheese in the tropics. I know. That's what, yeah. <laughs> it's um, not exactly an easy, uh, easy pairing maybe, but. No, but think about I like, mean, we just talked about Minas cheese though. That's exactly where yeah. I was going to say is Minas cheese or, um, you know, I can remember like I honeymooned in Costa Rica and mm-hmm. like you said, like the, the cheese for breakfast. Yeah. That was always a pretty big, just a really mild cheese because I think. You know, you're eating some beautiful citrus and yeah. some fruits. Yeah, it kind of complements it. And it complements it. Um, the other thing that this could, you know, I could really see, like, thinking almost like a coffee-growing region. So think about, like, a coffee. Mm. Um, and sometimes you'll see cheese with coffee. Yeah. Um, and I'm completely drawing a blank, but there is a cheese that they actually, like, dip in coffee. as really? Like, breakfast cheese. And, um, again, I can't think of it right now, but that's kind of what that makes me think. Or sometimes they'll even take like coffee and rub the rinds of cheese. Yeah. I've had several yeah. coffee rind cheese and they're pretty good. They're very good. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this kind of makes me think of like a coffee growing region or just even like I could s- it makes me think about a mild cheese with some beautiful citrus. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think this this painting, not only is it like literally, you know, a tropical location, but the colors and the trees, like I always love that. It always, I always feel like this painting smells tropical to me. I agree with you. And it, I almost can feel like the breeze. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a really different painting in here too. Oh yeah, um, compared to the, yeah a lot of the the other styles. I mean, it's 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 a little bit earlier than some of the other paintings. So if you look, this one's from 1892, and a lot of the things we've been looking at are a few years after that in the early 20th century. So it's 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 close, but it is a little bit later. He's he's more of a contemporary of of Van Gogh. Okay, that so, makes sense. Yeah, you can kind of see like this is kind of just a little bit before some of this other stuff. So it's a good sort of prelude to what's going to happen later, but it's, it's maybe 
has more in common with like the our Van Gogh piece than it might. Um, I love it with the the you know cubism right there. Although you can see, I think I can see a lot of connections here between the the Durand. Um, I agree with that. You know, so the, the the sort of expressionistic kind of use of color. Um, in both of those are, are, I think, pretty similar. So you can kind of, I can make connections there too, but yeah. I don't know if I, did I go, go abstract enough for you in my connotations? Oh, no, yeah, fine. No, no, you, you do what you do. Yeah, you, you do you. you. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. No, no, I want you to do, I, I want you to be you and do, do bring what you got. So you definitely, you're going to bring more cheese knowledge than I could ever bring. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think that's the biggest thing about cheese is that don't, and it's one of the reasons we do, we're doing what we do is we want cheese to be approachable. We want to mm-hmm. have a, an approachable cheese conversation. Russell, you're going to come into the shop and you're going to go, I don't know what cheese I need for this. Yeah. You know, yeah, this yeah. weekend I'm having some people over. Yeah. Um, and a good cheesemonger should help you make those selections. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's our hope um, that with the cheese community, that, you know, we have a lot of great cheese shops. We have a great cheese community, some really good cheese options mm-hmm. in Cincinnati and that we want to peel back the uncomfortableness about like, again, it's just what you said. You do you yeah. like, if you like that cheese, go with it. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you even, you know, I like that you said you even, you, f- you feel there's even a place for the craft single, heck yeah. you know, you know, yeah. so it's like, I, I kind of like that. I, I have that. I actually think have a very similar outlook on art. You know, I don't think I, I dislike the sort of delineations of high art and low art. You know, to me, it's like, you know, it's people making stuff and you make this for one setting and you make this for another setting. And these things have different places um, that they were intended for um, and different audiences in some case. But it doesn't mean, you know, this thing is inherently superior. Always. No. Like, you know, they're just they're they're each doing their job in different ways. And you just kind of go like, yeah, that's fine. Let's it's it's fine to enjoy this thing. It's great. Well, and you can come to the art museum or you can come to a cheese shop. You don't have to have supreme cheese or art knowledge to enjoy either. Exactly. I agree. Um, you know, what you get out of it versus what I get out of it is going to be different, but no, neither is less. Well, I think there's an interesting conversation there, too, about the... I mean, I've actually thought about this a lot, that the idea of um, taste... And the idea of like, you know, we all have personal tastes mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the sort of idea of like, there's no accounting for taste, um, but also the way that I think our tastes grow and change, you know, yes. and your tastes grow and change based on what you've experienced before. Right. So when you're a kid and you're, you know, you've only eaten a very small selection of foods in the world, your tastes are not it's pretty narrow or you have pretty narrow tastes. And, uh, and then as you experience more things, your tastes, you know, get a little more sophisticated. The things you loved as a kid, sometimes you'll go back and eat and go, why did I love this? This tastes like, this is nothing. And I think, you know, that's how my experience with art has been as well Is that, you know, my tastes when I was a little kid are different from my taste as a teenager, different from my taste as a college to today. My tastes are always changing. I'm based on, you know, what I'm putting in my eyeballs (laughs) And, uh, and it's similar to, you know, what you put in your mouth, you know, you, you experience those different flavors and suddenly you realize like, Oh, there are different flavors out there. And they're all like, I have an appreciation for all of them in different yeah, ways. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, you've traveled someplace and this art connotates that travel for yeah, you. Sure. Sure. Um, and maybe if you, prior to traveling there, you didn't have an appreciation for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, or you spent time in a gallery in another country and that 
opened your eyes. So I think you're absolutely right. Well, I'm glad we could find a connection between yeah. art and cheese. We, we did it. <laughs> we did it. Uh, I, I was a little worried, like, oh, am I up to this task? But no, it no, works. You're fine. You are absolutely fine. All right. Well, thank you so yeah, much for being you. my guest today. And thanks for bringing us some lovely cheeses to try. Russell, I really enjoyed our time together. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions include The Levy, a photographer in the American South, and Women Breaking Boundaries. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Ofrand Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, please rate and review us to help others find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. 